This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. We were left bereft after the football season, but helping us into the long, cold winter were the Olympics. And now we're bereft again because the Olympics are over. But it was a delightful couple of weeks. We saw lots of things happening up there. And some, some of the good things for the U.S. involved Nick Gepper. Nick is going to join us on the show now. Nick is a two-time Olympian, silver medalist in the 2018 Games in men's slope style. He's 24 years old out of Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure. We're, we're, we're delighted to have you. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Breckenridge, Colorado. This is where I base myself. And I have been for the last five years during the winter. Uh, I'll, I'll usually train here and ski and then travel out of, out of Denver. Okay. That, the, well, that was the, one of the first questions we had for you is how, how does uh, an Olympic ski medalist come from Lawrenceburg, Indiana? What was the course of What was the journey there? Honestly, to me, it, it completely makes sense in my head and, and it couldn't have gone any better. But uh, I, I grew up at, right off of Cincinnati, Ohio, right across the state line in Indiana, um, right up next to the Ohio River, actually. And right there in the Ohio River Valley, as they call it, is uh, this little ski area called Perfect North Slopes. It's really? about uh, 350, 400 feet tall. And I, 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 I lived about 15 minutes away from there, 15 minutes drive, and we had night skiing every single night. Uh, the, the ski resort was open uh, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, seven days a week for three months uh, during the wintertime when it got cold enough for us to make man-made snow. So I actually got so many hours of skiing in after school on the weekends. I mean, I'd get like wow. five-hour days uh, after school. So, I mean, I just I just felt real lucky now looking back on it. Well, that we've just learned something. I had no idea that there was skiing just outside of Cincinnati. Um, that's <laughs> and you took good advantage of it. Tell us, we, we're gonna, for, first describe your event because some folks, I mean, some folks may not have known it until they saw it this year. But then we're going to want to hear how you got. I've always wondered how people come to do those kinds of things. But first, can you describe for us what slope style is? Absolutely. So slope style skiing is a relatively new type of skiing that's uh, only been popular for the last, I don't know, I think. 20 years um it got it got kind of big in like the the early to mid 90s and it sort of branched off of a mogul and aerial skiing which is more traditional type of freestyle so Mm -hmm. of course you have the moguls which are the big bumps that you go down as fast as you can and then aerials which are uh the the olympians who go off a jump and do multiple flips and twists in the air and then land and and this is sort of a freestyle uh counterculture mix of that the easiest way i can describe it is like skateboarding and it's like a skate park but it's on snow and they build the features out of snow right um, so when a slope in a slope style course you have a series of uh of obstacles or features um that make up uh jumps and rails and of course you go off the jumps and perform twists and flips and whatnot and then you meet the rail obstacles and you grind the rails on your skis so you grind the rails sideways on your skis kind of like you would do on a skateboard on a handrail and uh, perform tricks on that. And, and competitively, um, a slope-style run is judged on overall impression. So uh, you, you do your hardest tricks on the jumps and the rails on the way down, and then you get a score out of 100. Mm-hmm. How, how, did you, how did you decide, at what point in your life did you decide, and how did you decide what events, what ski events to specialize in? That's a great question, and I love talking about it. 
I was young, um, you know, preteen. I was involved in other sports. I mean, I'd say I grew up in a pretty uh, classic Midwestern family. Um, I played, you know, traditional American sports, baseball, football. I played some soccer, too. I was really big into soccer. I was also really big into swim team. But it had a nice foundation and those team sports. But I was also um, just really, like, OCD, ADD. I was always jumping off stuff and always, like, trying to, I don't know, take things to the extreme. And, and when I discovered action sports as a kid, skateboarding, BMX, um, going to skate parks and, like, you know, grinding rails and jumping on quarter pipes on my skateboard and my rollerblades, um, I really got addicted to sort of that adrenaline mm-hmm. uh, cr- creative outlet that action sports provides. And um, I started skiing when I was five and didn't really get in, like, really into it until I was, like, 11 or 12. But once I discovered that you could take some of these, like, skateboarding and BMX elements and do them on the slopes, that's really when I got hooked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what qualities do you think separate the best slope-style skiers from, from the others? What, what's, you, you mentioned that you played all these other sports. We, we kind of know what qualities are required to excel in those sports. What do you think it is that lead to excelling in slope-style? Totally. Um, well, first and foremost, you just – the, the people who are really successful love it the most. I mean, the people who are successful, I think in any sport, but I see a lot in, in my sport, they wake up, they think skiing, they eat skiing, they breathe skiing, mm-hmm. they just live skiing, you know, and they're not, they're, they're doing it for all the right reasons. You know, they're, they love the sport, they love the creativity and the camaraderie and, and the, and the lifestyle. Um, but along with that, of course, comes crazy hard work, and sacrifices you have to make, you know, within your personal life. And, um, you know, in our sports evolving, you know, especially over the last five to ten years, um, we kind of went through this rock star phase when we were, when the sport was brand new and guys were just partying a bunch and maybe not taking care of their bodies and, and, uh, you know, their careers were really short. But now I think the sport has become much more professional and now, um, people are really treating their uh, them, themselves like professional athletes and eating right and, and making sure their biorhythms are intact and, you know, getting enough sleep and, and you know, training properly and all that. So I, I, is the same course um, at the Olympics used for both uh, the, the, the slope-style skiing as well as the, the snowboarding kind of analog of this? Yeah, absolutely. So the same course that you saw uh, Jamie Anderson and, and Red Rock win the gold medal, it's the same course for skiing. And it, it, um, we also saw at the Olympics that you can, I mean, it, 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 I think it's pretty rare, but you can actually, there, there are some athletes capable of essentially transitioning between the two sports and excelling at a high level. Is there anybody in, in your sport that sort of does both, both snowboarding and, and, and slopestyle skiing? Is it possible to um, kind of excel at the kind of Olympic level in both? That's, no, no. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really tough. I mean, our, I just think that, I just think that uh, I know who you're talking about the the Czech uh, woman. Uh, the Czech woman, yeah, that's uh, that woman, yeah. slalom. I mean, phenom- that's phenomenal. It's such an in- incredible achievement. Um, you know, and I I really can't speak on behalf of her sports because I don't really know anything about them. But I just know that that skiing and snowboarding both share similar characteristics. But I think that fundamentally, in terms of like the acrobatics and and the and the rails and stuff, they're 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 a lot different, and mm-hmm. it would be really tough. I mean, especially to, to be able to split your time up. Um, and honestly, like, that just sounds like it wouldn't be fun. <laughs> 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 just, like, slave away and, and do, 
do both of those, um, I, I think you'd really, really have to love it. So, Nick, this is Eric Bradlow. Um, so we're an analytics show. Are there any analytics in your sport, whether it comes to the training aspect of things? Like, are you suited up all the time in training with wearable devices and stuff? Or is there, you know, just like in baseball, there's now you can track where players are in the field. Like, can you watch videos of your stuff and all of it goes into a computer and you could see, wow, I could be faster here. I could do a tighter flip here. Is that kind uh-huh. of data coming into your sport? Um, you know, I think... And not typically, which, you know, the, the analytics side of, it makes it a lot easier for the folks at home to understand, and it's sort of a conversation topic. Um, but I think, like, at the Olympics, you know, they did a really good job of that. Um, the one analytical piece that I would say is, like, the number of rotations that we're spinning. I mean, of course, when you watch an event, you know, skiing, snowboarding, full-style half-pipe, you'll, you'll hear numbers thrown around all the time, like mm-hmm. 1260, 1440, um, you know, 360 cork corkscrew, which is like it defines like the the type of flip that you're doing. Um, those are just the, the, like the degrees of rotation that you're spinning around. Um, so, like you know, a 1080 would be three rotations clockwise or counterclockwise when you're going over a jump. Um, but during during the Olympic broadcast, I did a pretty good job of explaining that you know the number of rotations and then of course, like your past competition results, but also uh, like the I don't know the temperature, the wind speed, you know the weather stuff like that. That's pretty standard. Um, but as far as like statistics go, it, it's a little bit different than like basketball and baseball. Well, it's we, it's uh, what, we've had this big debate uh, here over the last couple of weeks about the about the subjectivity of judging in so many olympic sports so you know figure skating is the most prominent but in the in the summer olympics gymnastics are, are a similar thing and and we've wondered and look just we realize some of sometimes we're this is just ridiculous but we're you know this is kind of what we do and we want to be provocative as well but also where the world is going we've wondered whether there's a role for analytics in the evaluation of your performances and we're very curious to hear your perspective on this because you go you go do this thing and then you're completely subjected subject you're you're vulnerable to what the judges say. Nick, I just actually wanted yeah. to hone in a little bit on that. This is Adi. Um, this is a sport that most of us are, are didn't we? None of us watched it growing up, and it's somewhat new. So tell us about just in general what your perceptions about the subjectivity of the of the scoring system is. How often are you surprised by the results? How often do you say that's not fair or that's about right? I mean, how inter I mean there's a technical word for it. We talk about interrelator interrater reliability, but that's obviously not something you probably have calculated. But how much yeah. signal is there in the meaning how much how predictive is the score based on the characteristics that that, that you can measure? Honestly, over the last few years, I think our judges and, and our contests in general have have uh, been great. I mean, I think the judges have done a really great job. If you're tuned into the sport, um, you know, I think there might be a couple positions, you know, second, third, fourth, or whatever that are that are arguable. Um, but I overall, I think our judges have done really great, and that's something that the competitors in our sport have been really passionate about over the last ten years is making sure that technicality gets rewarded, mm-hmm. um, that the, the runs are as objective, or, uh, the judging is, uh, is, is as objective as it can be. Um, and, and also there are certain things to, to really determine that, and, and that's cleanliness. Um, I think that's probably the number one thing that mm-hmm. 
stood out at the Olympics was was your ability to be clean and smooth. Um, if you had any mistakes whatsoever in your run at the Olympics, um, they totally slashed your score, and you didn't have a chance at the podium. You know, coming off a rail a little bit early, not sliding to the end of the rail, or missing a grab. Uh, grabbing our skis is super important. Um, you know, while we're doing tricks, missing a grab, you know, just like any little mistake. Because all the guys are so good now, the judges' jobs is a lot harder, so it makes it easy for them. If we just all, um, you know, they, they're sort of looking for mistakes. Who are so, the who are, Overall, I think they've done a good job. Nick, who are the judges? Uh, the judges, I mean, we've had some, a couple of judges are great friends of mine. A lot of them are um, That's nice. former skiers, <laughs> former, former competitors, <laughs> former competitors. Uh, this guy named Steele Spence from Colorado. He was a pro back in the day. Um, another guy named Mike Atkinson was a Canadian pro back in the day. So there was kind of this, I think 10 years ago, a lot of the judges were were uh, were not skiers and not competitors. But I think now that the sport's got a right. bit older, now a lot of the guys in the booth are uh, former competitors, so it makes it makes it great. Right. So we're talking to Nick Gepper. Nick is a silver medalist in the most recent Olympic Games uh, in men's ski slope. He was also bronze medalist in 2014. And while we're counting, he's won three gold and two silver in the X Games. So he's been down this road a few times. Um, what Nick, we spend a fair bit of time talking with people in the sports science world. And, in fact, we had a guest a few years ago from the Snow and Skiboard Association, U.S. Olympic um, Association. They had stolen this fellow from Australia, I believe. He used to work with the Australian swim team. And he was talking uh-huh. about how much they had begun using sports science in the training of Olympic athletes within snow and ski board. And he talked about the importance of giving people customized training regimens that historically in generations past, if you were a downhill skier, all the downhill skiers had one regimen, all the slalom skiers had one regimen. And he comes uh-huh. in and, and, and advocates, well, athletes' bodies are different. They recover different. They need specialized regimes we've seen now other sports do that can you tell us any about your training regimen and how it's changed over time and what you're seeing in your sport yeah absolutely uh over the last few years as i've gotten a bit a little bit older you know when i was like 19 20 i really started to focus on training to be an athlete before i'd kind of just go skiing and you know skateboard in the summer which is also great cross training but um i didn't really pay attention to my diet or how i was sleeping or how i was eating uh, or, or like my habits every day. But um, the last few years, I've really tried to improve on that front, you know, sort of all the things off the snow that can make me better on the snow. And um, and I think it's going well. And, and to your point about the specified training in, in sports science, um, the U.S. ski team and the resources that are available to us are amazing. And, and there's every opportunity in the world to specialize your training. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it is really, it's all, it's, it's individual for everyone. I mean, I I think it, it, it's about what you want and and what works best for you. I mean, there's some guys that, you know, became the best in the world and, and they didn't go to a gym. They never stepped foot in a gym. And there's other guys that are the best in the world that spend the entire summer in the gym. So, um, I think it's just, Different, different for different people. But I think now that we're skiing so much and the tricks are getting harder and harder, it's really important to have a a good, solid physical base. So, Nick, let me ask you a question. How much you know? They always ask the question in sports: nature versus nurture. Um, can anybody? I'm not anybody, but I mean, can someone with could a 
person that was a great soccer player, let's take somebody that was the level of you as an athlete in some other sport. If they had chosen instead to do it in slope style, could they have been great? Or do you think there are specific skills to slope style? What, what do you think about that? I mean, could you have been an Olympic athlete in four other sports if you had chosen to? <laughs> if I loved them enough, yeah, I think I could have. But I think specifically for what I'm doing, I mean, you, you don't put that many hours in. You don't sacrifice that much. You don't do any of that when you're younger without just loving it. Like, I don't know, there's so much nostalgia that I think about when I think of my early days with skiing and sort of what it's brought to my life um, that if I was that passionate and committed to soccer or rollerblading, both of which I like thought I was going to be a professional at wow. before I discovered skiing, you know, I think I could have been successful. Um, but I think hard work trumps talent any day. You know, I think uh, there's a quote, I forget who said it, but it has to do with like, you know, there's a surplus in the world of, of unsuccessful people who are insanely talented just because they, they didn't really uh, – Combine preparation with opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a it, very interesting to hear you come down on that side of things, and another side that we wonder about some is the is the mental side. And we talk to folks about performance under pressure, and this is something that it's difficult for analysts to get their hands on, and so it leads some people to be skeptical that it's very important, and yet. We, we most of us who pay attention to sports and and talk to athletes realize it's very important. Can you tell us something about your 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 routine or your processes for performing under, you know, the highest pressure an athlete can face? Absolutely, and um, I really like that topic because I think it's super relevant in uh, in individual judge sports, uh, in individual sports in general, because you're only relying on yourself, and and that's that's it, and my favorite one of my favorite quotes is it's not the best it's not the best athlete who wins it's the best competitor uh because you can be the best mm-hmm. here in the world but if you can't put down a consistent run during your two chances at the olympics then it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and you may not be recognized as the best skier in the world because you don't shine on that day but for me i think experience has played a lot into it experience uh, you said yeah just just competing a bunch and, and really treating contests sort of methodically and, and seriously. Um, you know, I think using every competition as a learning opportunity to improve your routine and improve the way you do things, uh, I think is, is, uh, important. I mean, Nick, can I, I, can I jump like, in, can I jump in right there uh, real quickly to an extreme version of that would suggest that you don't think about a particular competition as an end in and of itself. You think about it as a step towards some future thing. It's a it's yeah, just absolutely. part it's part of the process. So it's 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 I can imagine that's helpful for working through the pressure, but it's a little surprising that that actually facilitates performance at that moment. And is are you are you how far are you pushing that? Are you are you really saying I'm trying as much as possible to think about this as just one more step in the process? I'm going to learn from this as opposed to I'm going to crush this thing and do as well as possible. I, I like to think of everything as a building block, even the biggest events in the world like the Olympics. I mean, I've got a bronze and a silver, and, you know, I, I, I like to – there's only one ending to that story, and that's to get the gold in Beijing four years from now. <laughs> right. But I, I really think that um, in a way, like thinking – thinking not thinking of something as like the be-all, end-all, like uh, Hail Mary moment, um, if you think about it, it's just another step in the process. I think it alleviates 
some of that pressure and allows you to perform better. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And um, for instance, I don't know, I, before the Olympics, uh, we had an X Games in Aspen, Colorado, and I was really, really just like focused on winning that event. And and that's like kind of all I could think about was just winning. And, and I wasn't really focused on the skiing and I wasn't focused on too much um, my performance. Like sort of, I don't think I was very much in the moment um, and so I think, you know, when I got like seventh or eighth in finals and mm-hmm. it was super bombed, it was a really hard, uh, a really hard loss for me. But, um, but I think just kind of having like a more, I don't know, outside perspective, um, that there's more, you know, think of, thinking about it sort of in, in terms of like life. I mean, there's going to be a lot more than, than just the Olympics or just my athletic career. So I think in thinking big picture really helps me. Is there um, are there age curves in slope style? So we always talk about age curves in sports, like you know the peak age for maybe a baseball player might be thirty years old for basketball might be late twenties. You know we just saw Sean White win a gold at age I think thirty three. Do you have two more Olympics in you at your peak? I mean, what are what do you think or what's known about the peak in your sport? That's an awesome question. Um, I think if I stay if I'm healthy and I love this, I could do. Two more Olympics for sure. Um, our sport's pretty young. Like I said, it's only like 20 years old. So typically, like 10, 10, 15 years ago, the pros were sort of, I don't know, peaking in the early, early to mid 20s, and then kind of getting washed out. Um, but now that the the sports science and the dedication to the sport among the athletes has changed a lot and become more focused, uh, I think that you know we're going to see guys competing into their later years, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and, and can still continue to master tricks and improve. And, you know, I look at examples everywhere in sports, like, uh, LeBron James, uh, Paul Rodriguez, skateboarder, um, Tom Brady. I mean, these guys who, who have figured out how to use their wisdom and, and experience to continually improve their athletic game and just like keep getting better as they get older. I mean, I think that's, Totally in the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Nick Gepper. Nick is two-time Olympian, most recently silver medalist in Pyeongchang and uh, a bronze medalist in 2014, looking already to Beijing. Can you tell us here in this last little bit, can you tell us about your experience as an Olympian over there? What, Other than the competition itself, what were what was one of your favorite moments? And were there, were there athletes that especially caught your eye or performances that you're still thinking about across any sport? Totally. Um, I, I think one of my favorite things about the Olympics was being able to to share the experience with all the other competitors. I mean, to to be a part of that elite group of like 20 guys who are all the best in the world and, are, and uh, going to the Olympics and competing and, and just knowing them all pretty intimately, um, I just think it was such a pleasure and such a cool memory to be able to look back on later in life now nick you're there talking was, uh, you're talking about within your sport across countries is the way yeah. you just cut it wow that's interesting yeah, with, okay within within my sport of uh, of slope style um there was just I, I just remember like riding up the trailer during practice and like watching all my friends do like their hardest skiing they've ever done mm-hmm. just leaving it all out there and that was uh, you know i just felt really privileged to watch everyone perform at that high level mm-hmm. um because you know the olympics is on the line so that was really really cool to see also um my family was there so that was really cool to uh be able to see them quite often uh, around the procter and gamble house 
a sponsor of mine. They had a house over there for families and stuff. So I got to see them a lot, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And just knowing that they were there and got, to, you know, may, maybe I didn't get to have like, you know, a ton of time with them, but I just know that they were having a good time and got to experience all of that and, and that they had that experience. I think, you know, looking back, that was also a awesome, awesome thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before we let you go, how, how are you thinking about the next four years? Like, what is the what is the ramp from here to uh-huh. Beijing? That's a great question. Uh, man, I just love skiing. I mean, I'm I, I, like I got back from the Olympics <laughs> and I've been skiing every day since. Wow, no myself, kidding. Like with no one else. Like I just I'm having a ton of fun. So, so Nick, hold on. When I mean, you when when you go skiing, when Nick Gepper goes skiing. What, are you, what does it look like? Are you just bombing it down a like a downhill style? Or are you doing tricks? How do you ski when you ski by yourself for fun? Uh, I'm just doing tricks, man. I'm just doing. I'm just trying to like <laughs> okay. learn more tricks every single day and okay. improve on things. Like I hate getting uh, getting stale. I love to just like keep challenging myself because that's the only way to really keep it fun. Okay. Um, but the next four years, I'm really I'm just really looking forward to exploring more of my abilities as an athlete and what I can do and then what I can put my mind to because, you know, I think that you can do pretty much anything you put your mind to. So I'm really excited to to test that out some more. So, Nick, is there – do you ever think about when you're done as a participating athlete, is there coaching in your future? Because you, you sound like someone that's given a lot of thought to the sport, uh, thought a lot about your training. Do you mentor young uh, slope-style skiers or do you think about going into coaching at some point? You know, I love mentoring young skiers. I got a younger brother that's 16, and I've been beating him up for my entire life with love. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I I love uh, sort of giving back to the youth and hanging out with them. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I'd make a good coach. I think I'd be way too impatient because I'm not doing it myself. <laughs> right. But I mean, I I love the idea of of giving back to the sport and staying involved, and I really uh, appreciate everything that my coaches and my team's done for me up to this point so if there's any way that i can give back in a, in a similar way that'd be awesome well nick we appreciate your taking the time to be with us this morning enjoyed your performance we'll be pulling for you in the x games in the next few years and in beijing in 2022 awesome glad you mentioned x games all right well thanks for having me you bet that was nick gepper two-time olympian most recently silver medalist in pyeongchang in men's slope style he was a bronze in 2014 He's got multiple goals in the X Games. You can see him, slope style skier. Appreciate him taking the time to be with us. Guys, just just in a minute or two before we cut off to break, what was your reaction to that? We don't often get to talk to Olympic athletes, especially not in the wake of their medal. Well, the part that struck me the most was his belief that, you know, it's a belief, he has no proof of it, but that he could have been an Olympic athlete in other sports had he dedicated himself and had the same passion. So it suggests um, both he believes he would have worked hard in those sports, but also he just had natural ability that would have enabled him to do it. I that's I, was I like, can believe it. That's I amazing. Agree. I think that's... Uh... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've I sort of observed that. I mean, we, we obviously do see athletes uh, transcend across multiple sports, you know, like baseball and, and football occasionally and stuff like that. I just remember I have kind of a random memory of 
Doug Flutie used to play quarterback. I mean, he used to play quarterback, obviously, in the NFL, but he also played quarterback for a few years in the Canadian Football League for my hometown team, the Calgary Stampeders. And he once came for a charity basketball game at my high school. And this guy, <laughs> and Doug know, Flutie's right? not a big like person at five plates go, was unbelievable at basketball. Well, and I'm just, <laughs> I just remember sitting there being like, well, okay, I, I guess the, I guess people like that are just good at everything. They are. Shane, I can't believe you have a. Doug Flutie came to my high school gym in Calgary, Memory. Alberta. Story you've been holding out for four years. Well, yeah. oh, I've heard. I've, I've heard got it. a lot of layers <laughs> of memories. <laughs> He's like an onion. Yeah. He heals them off. Uh, well, connect, connected <laughs> to that is his emphasis on the guys who are the people who are most successful in their sport are the ones who are living, breathing it, eating yeah, it, and constantly you know, every, challenging every, themselves every hour of yeah. every day. But I think this is a young sport, and that's the kind of thing that that particular dedication pays off in spades. You, hold on, what are you saying? Cause I because was, I was going to generalize and say it applies to our work as well. well the best no, I mean, academics. I mean, well, the best one of the I mean, here you have a sport where it's really evolving and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's infancy and some, it's only been around for what he said, he 20, 20 years. years right. Yeah. Right. And think about how, how sports evolve and they, they, someone has to imagine a, a new direction. And that happens in particular more frequently in early sports. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Okay. All right, guys. Well, that has been three quarters of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a quarter to go. Come back and join us after the break. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 